Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And dare I say, we have our MVP guest here today, Marjorie Punnett. Isn't this exciting? It always is. This makes me very happy today. I feel better already. Our guest today has been on the podcast second to us, you know, because we host the podcast. She's been on the podcast more than anyone else, which That's right. um, we absolutely adore when she comes on the show. And because I think as this podcast has evolved, we've really learned that feeling good, feeling healthy, feeling energized, that if you don't have those things, it's very difficult to have a happy, healthy nest. I mean, it's just near impossible. And I think that that's one of the things that, especially sort of in the stage that you guys are in when you have young children, this is when we lose track of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You have the greatest potential to lose track of yourself and how you're feeling, because I think it's really easy to say, oh, I'm working, I have kids, I'm, I'm just tired. Of course I'm tired. And you, it's very easy to accept the, of course I'm tired, this is just how it has to feel. Right. And it just doesn't. And it did for me. I mean, I was terrible. This is the one thing. Of, of of some regrets, my one regret is that I was not taking more active care of myself when my kids were younger. Yeah, it. I mean, it's an intentional practice for sure. And then you learn, though, that, I mean, also as your body gets older, you're just not, it's not as forgiving as it used to be. I mean, it, it, particularly <laughs> with regards <laughs> to cocktails, which I'm just so disappointed in this body of mind and how it handles cocktails today versus <laughs> how it did when I was 20. I mean, I was a real champ. And now... I don't feel like a champ in that department, but that's a conversation for another day. And Elizabeth, if that's your biggest worry right now, you're in really good shape. You're in really good shape. I just want to consume a little more tequila. Okay. I'm doing my best. And feel good about it. (laughs) Yeah. And feel good. That's the problem. So our guest today is Senya May. She is, um, you know, she's been on the podcast many times if you're a longtime listener. And if you're a new nester, you're going to fall in love with her immediately because she's a doctor of Chinese medicine. She's a certified functional medicine practitioner. She owns Healing Insight, which is on Grand Avenue in St. Paul. Um, I've been personally seeing Senya for probably, I don't know, we're probably at like the seven, eight year mark now. I mean, I really, I think I started seeing Senya after I had my first baby. So it's got to be about seven years and it's been a consistent part of my healthcare routine. And I remember the biggest shift happened for me when I realized she launched her membership program, which I really wanted her to launch so that you would have like, a, essentially you just pay every month and then you'd have an appointment every month. And I thought if I can make time every six weeks to go get my hair done, I think I can do the same for acupuncture for myself. And it really has been a major shift. I very rarely now call Senya in a panic of like, oh my gosh, I have a sinus infection. I need desperate help. Like it's that consistent management. And I'm really excited today to talk to Senya about these food sensitivity tests that she's offering. I've mentioned offhand that I've had this done um, 
and I worked with Senia on it. And so we're going to talk today even about my results and how those might help you understand what your results might look like and how food sensitivity can be part of you kind of figuring out how to feel your best. Are you That's up for great. this, Marjorie? And I'm going to, I'm totally on board and I, I like that I'm going to get to know you even better. You're going to know I'm going to know digestion. your food sensitivities. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to know all uh, about your digestive tract. This is beautiful. Boy, the insides. It's I share too much. <laughs> Senya, welcome back to Best to the Nest, your favorite podcast, isn't it? This is absolutely hands down. No question my favorite podcast. And after that introduction, nobody will ever be better than you guys. <laughs> I will never be loved as much as by you guys. Oh it's probably gosh. true. That is probably true. We adore you. But I do, you know, I think that's important. I'm not the only one who has, I mean, Sunny and I have a friendship, but I know I'm not the only patient of yours that has that relationship with you. I mean, you know a lot about the people that you're caring for. It is much more than a quick 15 minute in and out well check. There is a lot of conversation about what's making, you know, how you're feeling, how your life is, is shifting. And the appointments take a little bit of time because of that. Yeah. I mean, I get to know my patients really well because I spend so much time with them, but I also love it over, like, as I get to know them over the years, because I can say, remember when, right? So like, even for you, like, remember when you texted me during the state fair and you're like, I have a wicked sinus infection help immediately. But now I can say, and you haven't needed to do that in ages. Right. And especially when we did this food sensitivity testing for you, like since then, like you really haven't had significant sinus issues, at least as far as you've told me. Yeah. It's so, been amazing. I was actually in, I was in Palm Springs for a vacation and I had, aller it's always for me, it starts with allergies. So I'll have, I'll be allergic to something and then it turns into a sinus infection. And it just, and when I was in Palm Springs, I mean, everything was blooming, you know, it was April, yeah. there's like dust everywhere. And so I started yeah, to get pollen congested everywhere. everywhere. So I got home, I took the herbs that I have on hand because of you for like a couple days, I was mm -hmm. totally good to go versus like, that's amazing. Putting it into, you know, it's just like knowing yourself and understanding and supporting your body through whatever it's going through. Right. And sometimes with our doctor, we're just going there to like fix one thing or get one med and like focus on just one thing. But when you start to know, when you start to pay attention to how your body feels and how it reacts to things and you get in tune with it, mm -hmm. and I'm helping coach you through that, then you don't necessarily need me as much. You're like, oh, I know that this works really well for me. I'm going to do that. Like I can actually prevent a sinus infection, never need antibiotics because I right. just take a few days of herbs. Yes. It, it doesn't seem like this should be a major mind shift for people, but it is. That the, that the solutions can be easier and that they don't always have to be from a major pharmaceutical. And I, the older I get, the more worrisome those kinds of drugs are becoming to me because I think, I mean, watch any commercial. I mean, mostly what's on broadcast television now at night are pharmaceutical commercials. They're comical in the sense that the side effects are often worse than what you're trying to solve. And I think that's the part that just, it's so, it's, it's so overwhelming to me. Like there must be an easier way. And I'm not saying what you're doing is easy, because I think what you do requires a lot of attention and care and time and understanding. But but what you might be ingesting in your body afterward from everything you two have told me will be way better for you than than some of the alternatives. And and that's what I'm super interested in is if I if I can feel better because I just take something out of my diet or add something into my diet, that's the road I would much rather go down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I just talked with a patient yesterday and she like, I've only been seeing her for a week and she's already, well, I'm, I'm sleeping better. And my digestion is more regular. My abdominal pain is gone. And I'm like, okay, so this is a side effects of working with me, not <laughs> headache, dry mouth, and you know, whatever those things from this pharmaceutical companies. She's like, this oh, that, is great. This was so worth the investment. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's yeah. great. It's a huge, I mean, it really is a huge deal. And I, I mean, I always look at pharmaceutical things as sort of like, if you're in dire straits and like a temporary thing, just to figure out the bigger picture, you know, I just, I never like this idea of like, here, you're on this pill and this is what you're on for the rest of your life. Cause I just don't know for, for many kind of chronic things that Americans are dealing with. I mean, this is aside from like genetic things and all that kind of stuff. That being said, I mean, the herbs, like I always say this because if I throw out the term Chinese herbs, I like to always do this disclaimer. Like you cannot take Chinese herbs just thinking that it's like, oh, a supplement, like you need to work with a practitioner. They are not, they're not like just a willy nilly thing, Sanya. They're powerful. They're very, they're very potent. If you take the yeah. wrong things, the wrong dose, the wrong time, they can, they can cause harm. So that's, yeah. that's very true. I appreciate that you always say that. So people just are like to prescribing some of this. Like, I want to add that little asterisk in, right. Well, which yeah. one, the only reason I do it is because Sanya, I've worked with her long enough to know which one I need. And it's well, only that one. And yeah. herbs yeah. sound misleading. They sound gentle. They yeah. sound, yeah, it's just garden. misleading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and that being said, like, even with pharmaceuticals, like there's a place for those. So, yeah. you know, and people have listened to me, they know, like, I am not anti-Western medicine and conventional medicine. Like there's a place for that. And sometimes you need those things. Um, but what, what can we do to manage the side effects of those medications even? And there's a lot of nutrients that can get depleted, like being on yeah. the birth control pill or statins. Oh, like that's interesting. They deplete certain vitamins that yep. doctors don't really know about. So I'm always checking like, okay, what do we, what do we need to be counteracting here um, so that they're not creating damage in the long term? And then the other piece of that is for really complicated, complex diseases, drugs aren't necessarily the best option. Like I treat tons of autoimmune conditions. So I do a lot of thyroid. I do, you know, a lot of rheumatoid arthritis. I do multiple sclerosis. Like I, I treat tons of autoimmune conditions. They're very complex. There is not one drug or two drugs that's going to take care of that. They're multifactorial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe like, so like looking at all the factors that can play into that, I think are important. And like, maybe you're still on the, on the, on the drug because you need to be, but let's look upstream to see. So how can we prevent that inflammation from occurring in the first place? How can we modulate your body's stress response so that it's not, you know, you're not flaring up anytime that your body deals with like moderate or even severe stress. Like how can we like fix some of those upstream issues so that you don't end up with flares downstream? And that can be true right. for autoimmune conditions, for irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, even to a certain extent for, for weight loss, because there's a lot of things that can affect your metabolism too. I love that you say that because I think that it's why I so appreciate every time we, we talk to you is your measured response to how we should take care of our bodies. So if somebody comes to you, you're not going to shame them for being on a pharmaceutical, which I think is a, which is a big deal. Cause I think sometimes people think like, oh, they're going to take away everything I know. What you said, though, I think is really important is that idea is you might need to be on that pharmaceutical, but a doctor's not going to tell you how to counteract some of the effects that that pharmaceutical is going to have on you. And I know that for sure in my life and watching my husband, that that's not what doc, at least the doctors we've had, and we've had doctors in multiple cities, it's not what they do. They don't go through the side effects with you. And they certainly don't go through, this is going to happen to you. But if you do this, 
we can minimize the damage that it's doing to your body. So I think that that's a really important thing for people to understand that you're not, that, that this doesn't have to be, even though I may sound judgmental about pharmaceuticals, you're not. And, and that's really <laughs> right. important. That's really yeah. important. Yeah. And I think well, like having a husband, like my husband's a doctor. Yeah. So we have conversations about this and yeah. it's great because he can talk, you know, he will tell me about the ones that he's like, okay, these are the ones you really have to be careful of. And these are the ones like, you know what, the side effects of, of these things are minimal or just like, these ones are totally fine. And I'll kind of disagree with some of them. Right. You know, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, that one's not totally fine. Do you know how many B vitamins that that drug depletes? Like, are you putting your patients on B vitamins? when you prescribe that uh, oh you're not oh okay that's interesting honey okay well I, I love that you probably make him a better doctor I do I do yeah I do. those conversations yeah. make yeah. him better that's Sonia cool. makes Kai better at everything that's just yeah. that's just the bottom line he knows that he'll say it it's so true so I'm excited to talk to you about this food sensitivity testing because we're eating every single day you have to eat and if food isn't sitting well with you there are ways that you can remove it. It can also be an indicator of some bigger things. So let's talk about the type of food sensitivity testing that you do, Senya, because there are also a lot of them that are out on the market that I wonder if it's worth it to buy or not. Yeah. And I'm very particular about food sensitivity testing because like the labs that are used that we use because it's still, there's still a bit of an art to it as well as a science. So when we're talking about food allergy testing, that's been done for a really long time. There's really good testing for that. It's very reproducible, um, you know, not 100%, but like there's there's a, a good reproducibility to that. And the lab doesn't always necessarily matter so much with allergy testing, but with food sensitivity testing, it's actually relatively new testing. Um, and so it's it's taken a long time to, to develop good like good systems for it. So like the lab that I primarily use they developed food sensitivity testing 30 years ago. And so they're constantly refining it and getting better at it. And it's become so much more popular, especially in the last five or 10 years, that now there's lots of labs that are doing this food sensitivity testing. But if you're not using a good lab, if you send your blood in three different times, you can get three different answers. Yeah. And if, but if you have a good lab, if you send your blood in three times, you will get the same answers all three times. And in fact, for the, for the lab that I love the most, I've actually sent my, my, my blood in years later to double check it and we'll still get like very similar answers. Oh, I love that. So, so I think that's, that's, that's really important. So like when you see like on Facebook, social media, they've got ads of, oh, order this, this food sensitivity testing online. The labs that they're using are not the, the, the two good labs that I like. They are, you know, they, they have labs that are doing it, but they're not the ones that I recommend. None of the social yeah. media companies. Yeah. I think that's good to know. And the cost difference isn't that massive either. I mean, cause like right. the ones that you're sending in that are just kind of social media, I think a lot of those are probably in the 150 to $300 range. That's not that mm -hmm. far off from what you're doing, Senya. Right. Exactly. Like I'm going to be in the higher end of that range, but you mm -hmm. know that the results that you're, that you're getting are going to be more reproducible, more accurate. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. So what are we yeah. talking about to do food sensitivity testing? So what would it cost? If somebody wanted to do that, what does that cost? Um, it's usually about $300, give or take. Okay. And it okay. depends on how many foods you're testing and how many markers you're testing in it. So like on a very basic level, like I'll do like a 96 food test for people where we're just looking at one specific um, one specific marker, the, the IgG immunoglobulin. Um, and we can add uh, different ones in depending on people's symptoms. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk to you. What do you hope to find? When somebody's sending off and trying to understand this, what 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 are you going to find from those tests, and what will it help people do differently? 
other than obviously not eat those foods if they're not supposed to eat them. Right, right. And people can have a lot of of, um, symptoms from food sensitivity. So we're trying to relieve those symptoms. That's one of the main things that we're doing. Um, Otherwise, we're trying to decrease inflammation in their body. Because if you have sensitivity to a food and you're eating it two or three times a day or seven days a week, then that's going to gradually build up inflammation in your body. So, um, so just to kind of back up a little bit, food sensitivities are kind of a delayed, an accumulative react, accumulative, cumulative reaction <laughs> to a food, unlike a food allergy, which is like, okay. okay, I like, okay, so I I eat peanuts and boom, my you know my throat closes off. Like right. an allergy is going to be a very quick response. It's going to be within minutes to hours. Mm-hmm. But a food sensitivity can take up to four days for it to show up. And if you eat it just once in four days, maybe you're fine. You know, if, but if you eat it like three times in a day, it might be too much for you if you eat it three days in a row. So like it gradually builds, can build up inflammation in your body because your, your immune system is reacting to it in a slightly different way than it would for an allergy. So So who, who benefits the most? Because if you're looking at like, like me, for example, when I came in, it's not like I was dealing with any sort of acute crisis. Like I don't have an autoimmune condition. I don't have anything like that. It was really about figuring out how to just optimize my energy levels and just a little bit of, you know, curiosity too. And maybe confirming a couple things that I already knew deep in my soul, but I didn't want to admit. <laughs> Tequila. <laughs> for sure. For Tequila sure. and I are fine, by the way. <laughs> not I sensitive at all. <laughs> tequila isn't actually on this test. So Whatever. Well, what, I, no, it, don't, you don't need to talk about that. It didn't light up. <laughs> it didn't light up. That's right. It did not, tequila did not light up. That's very true. That's very true. Um, so yeah, so if, there's kind of three main times where I do food sensitivity testing, where I strongly recommend it for my patients, but I, I run it for most of my patients, actually. The first one is you have to, if you have digestive issues. So irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, different autoimmune conditions of the gut, like reflux even, I'll run food sensitivity testing. Um, if people have um, autoimmune conditions, because the if you have food sensitivities, it'll build up inflammation in your body, which can then trigger more autoimmune symptoms and can cause the immune system to overreact. So we want to be removing those, like decrease your body's reactivity. Um, the third time where I use them a lot is when people are trying to lose weight. Because if you're eating foods that you're sensitive to, then it can create, um, yes, it creates inflammation, but I find it actually changes your hunger signal. It makes it difficult for you to pay attention to how does this food make me feel? Should I be eating it? How much of it should I be eating? So I see a lot of people who are trying to lose weight and they're really sensitive to dairy or gluten, but they eat one of those every day. And then we take them off of that. So like it's actually dairy is super common. So like if, if dairy shows up, you know, casein or whey protein, I'll take them off of that just for a couple of weeks to see how they feel. And all of a sudden they feel like they feel normal sensations of hunger and they don't mm. feel like they're overeating so much. They're not craving so much food because they've taken this reactive food out. So I, I like, that's part of my metabolic repair package. Like it's like, we need to do food sensitivity testing. Um, I love what you just said, the metabolic repair package. That's so important. I, I love I that. I love the sound of that. That's great. <laughs> Sign up. Buy it. I am. Yeah. And then, okay. but, but I will also use it. Like fatigue is another really common one. And most people who come to see me are fatigued. Mm-hmm. Like I would say probably 80% of my patients are like, they're either fatigued or they're tired at some point in the day. Mm-hmm. And food can play a really big piece of that because it can, 
if it's, if you're sensitive to it, it can weigh you down. It can slow down your gut. It can, you know, create more inflammation, more mucus in your body. And then you'll feel more like you can feel groggy or you can feel heavy or tired. So if we identify what those are, well, then you can free up more energy. And, and I mean, really, I don't want people cutting everything out of their diet. I feel like this is like a bad trend actually yeah. in yeah. modern nutrition right now. It's like, let's cut all the things out. Like let's cut out all the dairy, the wheat, the sugar, the, oh, now we're cutting out. Now we're cutting out meat. Now we're cutting out all grains. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, let's just cut out the ones you have to cut out. Yeah. Not all the things it's too, then you can start to be like, have orthorexia where you're worried about every single food you put in your mouth. I love that you say that. I think like, I, I want you to like shout that from a rooftop somewhere because it just, I really think that it is so... I mean, number one, from that health standpoint that you talk about the orthorexia, I also find it to be disgustingly elitist. Like this idea of, I cut out everything. I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm cutting all this out. Like, it's just, I mean, oh my gosh, you guys, like 95% of the people in this world cannot just do that. Like you live, you have to eat what is available to you. You eat what you can afford. I just like, I don't think people understand how elitist that sounds I mean, even as so far as when we get to like the vegans and the vegans are going to come after me, but when it's like, I just, I don't eat meat. Like there's so many people in so many other countries who would do anything to be able to feed their families meat because of the nutrient density of it. It's just, you have to be a little bit, I don't want to go like on this oversensitivity journey, but I also want people to really respect food and what it means to cultures and what it means to people. It is a big deal. To have it, to have options. To have the food and to have options. Yeah. That, yes. I love that. I love that point. But what did, so Elizabeth, what brought you to want to do the food sensitivity testing? Well, I'm doing a few tests. I think my other one is in Senia, by the way, my saliva test saw, on something. Yeah. <laughs> saw an alert, which is very exciting. Um, so I kind of, I went to Senia, you know, I've been sort of, I've always been thoughtful about you know, my health and all of that. And I think once I broke my ankle, it was even more of a big deal to me to kind of figure out, okay, let's really look at this point in my life where I'm at. I'm done having children. I know that, you know, menopause will be kind of the next big thing. And how can I optimize my life during that period? And so menopause. Yeah, I guess. So I, you know, and so I have regular appointments with Senia. And so I was just really interested in this. And so we did, um, my food sensitivity testing. And I felt really happy because only a few things came back. And that's what I think is really interesting to talk about. Maybe first, before we delve into the specifics, Senya, is like, what does it mean? Because you're an expert going through it with me. If you, I know you told me if you would have seen, I think like half a dozen or more sensitivities, then you start to get like, okay, now we have bigger things to look at too. For sure. And it's kind of one of the the ways that a practitioner can read between the lines on lab tests that, you know, a, that a lay person might not be able to. But if I see, you know, if I see you know, when we're looking at the list of vegetables and fruits, if those light up and you're getting like five or six or 10 of those that are starting to look like they could be food sensitivities, that should, fruits and vegetables shouldn't show up as food sensitivities. Hmm. They really shouldn't. So if they are, now I'm starting to think there's something really wrong in your gut. Like you probably have leaky gut you probably have intestinal permeability and it's letting everything into your bloodstream now because a food sensitivity test is testing your blood. 
So it's seeing what food is getting into your blood and causing some sort of immune reaction. Oh. A lot of those foods, they shouldn't be getting into your blood in the, yeah. like in the molecular structure that we're testing them in, in this test. So if fruits and vegetables are showing up there, I'm really concerned about the state of somebody's gut. And we're usually digging deeper and doing a much longer term repair for them. The, isn't that yeah. so interesting? And that's, I've, I learned so much about that through our, through our dealings with eczema with my kids that, you know, eczema is the same, like your body, your skin doesn't have that barrier. It doesn't have a strong enough barrier. And so it lets things through that shouldn't go through. And then it can, then it causes all these, um, all these problems. And it just makes so much sense that your body is like that, that the rest of your body is like that too. Mm-hmm. And your gut, especially because your, your intestines are supposed to let things through, but we want it only to let little things through, not big things. Once it starts letting big things through, now you're talking about more inflammation, more joint pain, you know, more headaches, more, you know, more brain fog when that's getting into your bloodstream and it shouldn't be. Oh, that's fascinating. So what did you find with Elizabeth? So Elizabeth was fabulous. It was, um, so in her test, she had two main things that showed up. One of them was a couple categories of dairy and it was both casein and whey protein. So the testing that I do breaks down, not just like, oh, we're looking at milk or cheese or something like that, but the specific proteins that are in it, because you might be sensitive to one and not to the other. So if you're, if you're sensitive to whey protein, then that's going to be most of your like liquidy dairy. So like ice cream and cream cheese and sour cream and milk, those all have, you know, everything, you know, I should say all dairy has casein in it, but only some of them have whey in it. So right. if whey shows up, like you have to cut out most of the dairies, but you don't necessarily have to cut out cheese because cheese only has casein and, um, and milk fat in it. And so if you're sensitive to it, that's why I like to parse this out. So it's like, oh, if you're only sensitive to whey, guess what? You can still eat cheese. Yay. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we break it down in, in the test that I do. Um, for Elizabeth, both casein and whey showed up. So it's like, oh, you actually shouldn't eat any dairy, like any cow milk dairy, including cheese, which was wood is usually a very big bummer for people if they hear that, because cheese is very difficult to cut out, I think. But on her test, I also test for goat's milk, because if goat or sheep products show up as being fine, you can eat goats. So in Elizabeth's case, like she can actually eat goat cheese, goat milk, goat yogurt, goat milk ice cream. She can eat all of those just fine. She's not having a reaction to those, which Elizabeth, how did you feel when you, uh, when you found that out? Well, then I felt fine about the whole thing, really, because the only things that I really truly adore so much out of cow's milk dairy are like, I do love heavy cream in my coffee and I love butter Mm -hmm. like on things, but um, and so I'm, st- I'm not a hundred percent off of those things. I usually do like a little, I'll, I'll do like a little bit of heavy cream in my coffee, maybe one to two times a week. Yeah. Um, and, and that has been the other thing too, is to just kind of figure out what my threshold's at, but it confirmed for me, I have never found a whey protein powder that makes me feel good ever. And I said, I told you that years ago when we were talking yeah. about protein powders, I remember saying like, when I take whey, when I do whey protein powder, I feel sick. I do not like it. I have like a, I don't even like looking at the jar of it. Like it's very strange. I have like a very, I just, it's not good. I know it's not good for me. Um, but I love goat cheese, goat milk. I've been doing, um, sheep's milk yogurt, which I love. And, and it's so easy to find. Like, I don't even, I don't even think about it. Goat cheese is my favorite kind of cheese. I switched, like I switched instead of doing Parmesan, I do Pecorino. Like it's really very easy. So the, 
so for somebody with a dairy sensitivity, which I imagine is probably pretty common, um, how does that manifest itself? What are they feeling? Like if somebody hasn't done a food sensitivity test, but they don't feel good, what might they be feeling because they're, they have a sensitivity to dairy? Yeah. And that's a great question because as a practitioner, I've done so much of this testing and I've seen so much of it that I can often, like somebody will, like my patient who said like in a week, she felt better. It's because she sat across from me. I said, you have a dairy sensitivity. (laughs) I don't even need to test. Like we'll test it to see if it's like which like protein it is, but you have a dairy sensitivity. I want you to cut back on that as much as you can in this first week. And it was amazing. Right. With, With dairy sensitivity, it's super common to be more mucousy or to feel more heavy. So like mm. sinus, like when people have chronic sinus congestion, I'm like, you have a dairy sensitivity of some kind. If people are really foggy, like if they have foggy headedness, dairy is common. That's not the only one that can cause it. Um, grogginess in the morning, that's another common one. Again, oh, that's interesting. not the only one. Or if people feel really heavy, like their, their head feels heavy, their body feels heavy. Um, dairy is a super common um, symptom. And then lastly, like just mucus, like, oh, I have to clear my throat all the time. Or I feel like when I get sick, like the first thing that happens is I get a sinus infection or I get this really wet cough. I'm really thinking dairy when somebody says that. See, this is so fascinating because especially for um, when you're raising your children, I don't think I had a great grasp of um, being super sensitive to, I fed my children well, but I don't think I was super sensitive to the idea of when they were sick what foods might've been contributing to that. I had, my older son had a lot of sinus infections, a lot of issues like that and was treated with a ton of antibiotics. Yeah. And so it's so interesting. I think for, for mothers and fathers out there who might listen to this, it, it just gives you one more tool to sort of respond to, especially those chronic issues, which I think with children, like you found with eczema, Elizabeth, with when Mm -hmm. your kids have a chronic issue, it's such a stress within the home Because you, we all, we don't want to give our kids antibiotics. We don't, we know that that's not a good thing for them if they're sick two or three times a year. So this is really interesting. I mean, if I could go back in time, I would have loved to have been able to work that puzzle better with my own children of knowing, well, one of them, you know, past two never got sick. It was the the older one who, who had those sort of chronic issues. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. And when my son, when my son was little, he, when he started daycare, he, mm. um, you know, he's a little older when he started daycare, but he got, a, he got a couple of ear infections. Yep. And the, and the first one, we didn't even know he had it for a while. And he ended up like, we had to give him antibiotics because it was, it was a raging ear infection by the mm-hmm. time we even recognized it because he couldn't talk yet. Um, but then the second, then he got a second one later and I was like, you know, and then they're like, well, well we need to give him antibiotics. I'm like, well, 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 wait a second. The problem with this ear infection is that he has fluid building up in his ears. You're not clearing the fluid. You're not helping the fluid in any way. You're just killing the bacteria that's in the fluid. What are right. you going to do to help my son prevent him from having fluid in his ears? And it was like, it, it wasn't even on the, t- like it wasn't even on right. the radar. Right. And yep. this is when I fired my husband as the medical director of our house. I'm like, no, no, your medicine has failed our child. Yeah. It is not fixing what the real problem is. I'm in charge now. I yep. decide what we do for like these sorts of issues because like your medicine is not getting at the root of this. Yep. Sometimes you need antibiotics. Sometimes you need them, and that's fine. But I'm like, what can we do to prevent you from needing the antibiotics? Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is key with those chronic issues for kids. It's yeah. key to find out what the root of it is. And you want to use the antibiotics when you really have to. You yes. want, you know, that's the thing. Like that, they need to work when you really need them, not right. just on this kind of like throwaway thing. 
Okay, so there were a couple more things that showed up on my food sensitivity testing as we take a deep dive into my intestines. <laughs> the wow. Other, so, so gluten showed up as a possible sensitivity for you. I know. And, and gliadin was kind of a maybe. So gliadin is another protein that's in wheat um, and other grains. Um, did we ever test, like, did you go off of gluten? Were you on gluten? Um, I am very, I am pretty low on the gluten intake. Um, and mm -hmm. what I have really found is like, I, I, I feel so great when I eat the sourdough that I make, if it's fermented, it's just not even an issue. It's like, yeah. and, and then the flowers that I choose, um, I try to get, you know, a more ancient grain. So I buy, mm -hmm. like, I buy these, this flower from sunrise flower mill, which is a local mill and they grow only Turkey red. Um, so it's stuff that was pre this really high gluten flour that was developed by the fine university of Minnesota. Um, that really like, you know, there's a lot of links to like this catapulting gluten problem was when flour was changed to be a kind of a different species, really. I mean, it's like right. a whole different well, deal. Well, and they made, they genetically modified it. So it'd be more hardy right. so that it could grow in more places. And so that you could use more pesticides on it and kill the bugs on it, which was great because then you could grow it in places you could never grow it before. It was a wonderful solution for place, you know, developing country or like places where it's difficult to grow grains and feed people. But the problem was it made it more hardy. And it made it has more gluten. It's stronger gluten. It, there's it's harder to digest. It's harder to break down. Mm -hmm. So now we're not breaking it down, and now it's get you you know it's getting into our bloodstream and causing inflammation. So it's a it's oh a, that's it's, so it's interesting an unintended consequence of trying right. to feed the world. Right. And so it's kind of interesting. But and yeah. with like and then with the, like the sourdough, you're for, you're pre digesting it with the fermentation process. So you're breaking mm -hmm. down that gluten before it even gets into your body. So your body doesn't have to break it down as much. And that's why you're not having as much of a reaction to it. Yeah. That's and it's been great. It's really great. And there's just none of the, and I really notice it with pasta. Like if, when I have pasta, I, I'm going to figure out how to make some sourdough pasta. I'm sure I can. But like the difference between sourdough bread and eating pasta is like, it's just a world of difference. You know, so, everybody who complains when you eat a big pasta meal, you're like, I'm so mm -hmm. tired. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like bloated and tired. Like that is not the case at all for me when I eat sourdough at all. Mm -hmm. What is the alternative for pasta other than Elizabeth learning how to make her own sourdough pasta? There are so many good gluten-free pastas now. Like gluten I eat brown rice pasta. I love it. And there's other yeah. like different gluten-free blends that are really, really good. I mean, that's the thing. 10 years ago when people were diagnosed with celiac disease or trying to go off of gluten, it was really difficult. Now there's so many products that are out there where they're, they're using, you know, food science to help. Right. Know, rather than just right. adding chemicals to make you crave food more, they're using food science to help it, you know, you have different, um, you know, different ingredients in it that are, that are more digestible for right. yeah. sensitivities, which is great. And then the final one, um, was almonds. This was another one that I like, I knew. Oh no. Well, and I, almonds and I have had a, you know, just a past. There was a time when I was a news reporter and I would eat, I was on this raw almond thing and I would just always have raw almonds and I would eat them. And then it's sort of like, to me now, when I taste almonds, it reminds me of like lack of sleep and oh. <laughs> misery and like just being stuck in the middle of nowhere and just like, I'm going to survive off of these almonds. Um, but almonds are something too, I think that is another, it is another one of those foods though, that people have really started incorporating like a crap ton into their diet. You know, like when you're slugging almond milk lattes all day, and then you're eating 
like almond flour in your, um, you know, muffins that you're having, like, think about how many almonds it takes to make like a half a cup of almond flour. It's, I, it's gotta be like 50 or 60, like nobody's meant to eat that many almonds at one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and for some people they handle that just fine, but it, but you might not like, it's not uncommon to find out, Oh my gosh, that food that I've been eating tons of, yeah. like, especially during a stressful period, like you can develop some leaky gut during, like during stressful times. Well, you can develop a sensitivity as a result of that. So when you're talking about like, I was sleep deprived and I was in the middle of nowhere and you're probably reporting on very stressful things and yeah. eating all these almonds, <laughs> like we've probably developed some leaky gut and that almond was getting into your bloodstream and your body was reacting to it. So what, how would that manifest itself? If somebody has a food sensitivity, is it, is it again, sort of the same symptoms of fatigue or gut pain or do each of these sensitivities sort of cause different issues within the body? There's, there's some general issues that food Mm -hmm. sensitivities can cause, including like joint pain, muscle aches, headaches, fatigue, um, you know, sinus issues, but then certain foods will cause more specific symptoms. Um, I find almonds and eggs can cause more like respiratory issues. And so Elizabeth, you may not have experienced respiratory issues, but it's not mm-hmm. uncommon when people have asthma for me to do testing and see at, to see almonds and eggs show up. So there's oh, kind of these correlations with certain diseases even, but not everybody will have that specific symptom. Right, right. Yeah. It's so interesting. And the, and so the recommendation then is to cut it out for a couple of weeks and then mm-hmm. see, and then add it back in and see how you feel, which I've found to be, um, it's just really telling. And again, it's not about like, oh, I'm going to cut out all grains, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. let's figure out like specifically if there's something that just isn't sitting well with you, I have the luxury to be able to make a different choice. And so if I have that knowledge, I can do that without this like sweeping, just, oh, I'm, I'm not eating anything, you know, to, right. to kind of figure it out. Right. And there's a couple of things we do with these results. Like one of them, in order to confirm that it's a food sensitivity, we don't just take what this test says. I like to do like a two week, two day test with people like, okay, go off of it for two weeks and see how you feel when you add it back in at two days or we go for two days, eat a lot of it for those two days. If you have a reaction, like pay attention to what your symptoms are, because then you know what your reaction is. And if you don't have any reaction, it, it might not be, a, you, you probably aren't sensitive to it. So mm-hmm. we want to confirm these results. But if in those two days you add it back in, you're like, oh, I, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I'm fatigued. I, you know, I'm getting headaches again. Um, Then we want you to go off it for several months typically. And we're going to do like some gut healing during that time. And then we reintroduce it to see, okay, now that your gut is healed, can you eat this food again? So just because it shows up on this test doesn't mean you're off of it forever. Oh gosh, Sonia. It's so good though. I think this knowledge is so helpful and it just helps people kind of be a little bit more guided when it comes to how you can incorporate these tests if you're able to do that and, um, and how you can work like working with you is so helpful. So do you have a little bonus for our nesters? Did you want to bring a gift today? This is, I think this is so nice. I do. I had so many best to the nesters who called after our last episode. I'm like, you know what? I want to give a little gift to everybody who like comes in to see me. You know, I remember I was like, I'm doing this for Elizabeth for you guys. So, (laughs) um, so I, you know, I really love doing food sensitivity testing for my patients. And so if there are best to the nesters who want to come in to see me, I, I do like four and six month packages with people. Um, I'm going to include a food sensitivity test for each best to the nester who comes in, who mentions your podcast. So we'll just include it. That's so fun. 
That's so fun. Oh, that's great. So you do a four or six month package, you'll get a free food sensitivity mm -hmm. testing. You can just uh, plan it as part of it and you won't have to pay for it. That's mm -hmm. very cool. Yeah. And you know what? And we'll, since, since Marjorie mentioned it, I'll do it for my metabolic repair package too. <laughs> People love that one. And it's, you know, we're kind of getting into, into swimsuit season. So that might be yeah. appropriate timing. It's, I love, I just love, love the way that sounds. It sounds I so know. important. I'm going to do metabolic repair. It sounds so foundational. Exciting. That's wonderful. Um, Senia, thank you. We love you. You're the do. best. We I do. love we, you guys too. This is like one of the best days is when I get to do podcast interviews with you. It's so fun. I got to book another appointment. This is always reminds me like I'm due. I'm always due. Well, your test, written, your, your hormone test came back. So now we get to go over that. I know Ooh. this is very exciting. I just spit in a tube so many times in one day. Side note, before we go, just to let everybody know, if you're wondering about how you do the food sensitivity testing, she gives you a little thing, like a little cardboard box with instructions. It's very simple. You prick your finger. I promise it's doable. It doesn't hurt. It's fine. I mean, it hurts a little, but it's not terrible. Yeah. You just, and then you push blood out and put it on these little circles that that are on the paper and then you send it in. It's very easy. And Elizabeth, we have to say, blood. Easy. if yeah. anybody's had children, the dr blood is not an issue. I mean, oh, yeah, when you're, you're pregnant, fine. you get your blood drawn so many times, pricking yeah. your finger is not a big deal. You can do um, it. As always, thank you, Senya. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at best to the nest or go to best to the nest.com. We are the podcast that brings you home.